All right, friends, it's time once again for another... Another Beyond Understanding episode of V8 Radio, Kevin. Beyond Understanding. Like like it's beyond <laughs> our understanding what the heck we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm way over my head here, man. <laughs> well, kind of makes sense. Right. Uh, well, that's good. And In fact, I also have a word today, as a matter oh. of fact, which is, uh, I know, kind of unusual. But this one uh, is a little uh, shout-out to our friends down under because... Uh, we're noticing we have quite a few listeners of this program in uh, in Australia. Hell yeah! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we appreciate them, and uh, for them, this episode is Chalkers. Oh, yes. Which uh, I hope that's a good thing. It is. It means very full. It's a it's an Australian ah. slang term. You know, like it's uh, chock full of nuts. You know. It's, okay. Uh, <laughs> well, chock full of two nuts anyway. Yeah, right. Me and you. <laughs> it's Chalkers. All right. And uh, so you're listening to V8 Radio. I'm your host, Kevin Oste, joined as always by our esteemed co-host, Mr. Mike Cuball-Clark. And I just had dinner and I am chockered. Oh, right on, right on. See? I'm already using the, the, the verbiage. That's pretty good. I'm yeah. chockers full of uh, nonsense tonight. <laughs> so this uh, program is uh, traditionally about automotive stuff, car-related things, and uh, we like to start the show with a... An automotive trivia question, which is, um, you know, it's a little bit of a tactic. It's kind of fun. It's fun to banter around a little bit, but it also uh, kind of bribes people to listen to the whole show because uh, gives we, you a reason, as it were. Well, you know, like you need a reason, but uh, maybe you do. <laughs> and if you do, we give out the front half of the trivia question at the beginning, and then uh, bait and switch you. You got to listen to the end to get the answer. So, <clears throat> Mike, have you uh, prepared? A trivia question for this episode. As a matter of fact, Kevin, I have. And uh, let it be unleashed. All right. So, Kevin, a long, long time ago, a gentleman named George Selden actually patented the automobile. No kidding. And no kidding. Back in, the, in 1895, he patented the automobile. Wow. And, no, and no, other, no one else could build a car without paying this guy a royalty. And he could kind of shut down anyone he didn't want making cars because he had all the power. Until one brave person came forward with a group who decided to challenge his patent and take him to court over it. And ended up succeeding in breaking the patent. Who, Kevin, was this brave individual who stepped forward to take on George Selden? Wow. So, this is a... This is all new to me, friends. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a heck of a story. Uh, interesting. Well, so if this was 1895, you said? 1895 is when the patent was granted. Was this global? Yes. Okay. So that means the people that are going to care are the players at the time. Correct. So your, your Carl Benz, your... Uh, uh, there's some French companies that were dabbling in cars, of course. Little... I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back up here. I'm, I can't say for, I don't know if it was global. Okay, so that that's okay. a tell that <clears throat> the, I, the group I, I might apologize. have been from the U.S. of A. who challenged him and won. Uh, the answer is closer than you think. Yeah, yeah. So it's like in Redbud, Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
Ford got into the game kind of after that, but he wouldn't have if it was, you know, prohibited by patent. <clears throat> Holy smokes. There's a, there's a bunch of people back then, and I, to tell you the truth, I'm not, I'm not sure, because you didn't give me any info if there was a manufacturer, if it was just a guy or a group of people. It could be, you know, one of the fledgling companies that made parts for some of the automobiles. I'll, or... I'll tell you, it's a guy that's credited with breaking the patent who came forward with other automakers to break the patent. Yeah, wow. I will say I straight up do not know. Oh, you can't say I do not know. I'm going to say something, but I but I, I will preface it with not knowing. Okay. So, having said that, I'm, I'm going to say that it was... Jeez, uh, things were moving kind of fast back then. So, you know, some of these American auto companies that didn't get going until, you know, 1890 or 95. So, when did you say this was, 1895? The patent was granted in 1895. I okay. didn't say when it was broken. Right. But, you know, nobody if, if nobody could legally build automobiles, they wouldn't have mm-hmm. been building them for sale if there was a patent in place. Well, or they, they would, but they have to pay them a royalty. Pay them a royalty. All right. All right. Like $15 a car, I think, back then it was. Yeah. Big money. Uh, well, I'm just going to say Henry Ford. Why not? That's my guess. All right. I don't really Kevin believe says, that answer is, you know, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in that one, but that's way that's all I can come up with right now. Says Henry Ford. Given the time frame, not a bad guess. Well, you know, thank you. A good educated guess. <clears throat> I guess so. I guess so. It's a good guess is what I thought it was a great question. It was a great question. I had no concept that it was even a real thing. Yeah, that was a thing. Wow. Just like on uh, April Fool's Day the other day, uh, Banks Engineering, you know, Banks Power that makes turbochargers, right. Gale Banks. Sure. Uh, yeah. uh, they, they put out an April Fool's gag saying they uh, trademarked the color red. They own it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> because all of their, uh, a lot of their turbo systems and valve covers and stuff are red, you know. I see. And that was pretty funny. Well, that's actually not that far fetched because companies can copyright a specific color if it's their brand color. Yeah. Um, but that is a specific Pantone shade, Correct. you know. Right, exactly. Not red. Yeah. Right. Not it's, it's red one, two, red. six, four, five, you know. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Hmm, very interesting. All righty. Well, um, I've got a question for you. I bet you do. <clears throat> yeah, it's nowhere near as far fetched as the one that you asked me. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But you're a Pontiac guy. <laughs> oh, here it comes. <laughs> here it comes. Kevin's revenge is upon us, folks. Uh, what was the farthest Pontiac plant from Detroit? Oh, that's a trick question. Mm, I I, tr- I don't do trick questions. Come on. <laughs> we talked about this. All right? We talked about this. Uh, the farthest Pontiac plant from Detroit. Well, the knee-jerk reaction would would be um, California. Uh, they built they built they built I know they built GTOs in California. They had a plant out there. And I believe Firebirds too, and uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of stuff. Um, 
But I don't think that's where you're going with this. Hmm. I think you're going out of country, knowing who you are. <laughs> <laughs> your chocolate. What's that supposed to mean? Crap is what uh-huh. you are. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to say the farthest Pontiac plant from Detroit mm-hmm. was. Oh boy. Um what what's who um mm-hmm. Oh, this is a good one. This is a great question. Um I mean some Pontiac of course being can- a uh, you know, a division of General Motors that built automobiles for many years. Yeah. Yes. Yes, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. From 1926 on uh, until 19 uh, what 90 uh 2010 yeah. or yeah, whatever. Um I mean, Canada could be a player, depending on where in Canada. Mm. Um, Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, but, I have to admit, my uh, my Canadian geography is not very strong. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But it's getting better because uh, I, I was reading the uh, one of the one of the books written by the Rush drummer Neil Peart, who describes right. his cross cross Canadian motorcycle adventures in great detail. Right. He rode to Alaska, for crying out loud. Oh, that's crazy. There's a lot of Canada. And, by the way, a lot of listeners in Canada to the show. You know that? And that's not just Australia. Uh, It's awesome. It is awesome. I did not know that. Thank you, uh, our neighbors to the north. That's right. We appreciate it. I know a lot of great Mm -hmm. Canadians. Amen. Uh, Back to the question, though. Back to the the agony. I'm going to say the farthest Pontiac plant from Detroit is, I'm just going to really take a wag at this and... uh, See how it feels? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let let me tell you something there, Cupcake. This is how I feel every, every episode. All right? Hey, a lot of my wags, I get lucky. You do get lucky on a lot of them. Not this time. Um, let's say, let's say, oh God, I hear I'm, I'm falling back into these bad habits of hemming and hauling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe describe your process. I mean, we, we did go to Canada. Well, I'm trying, I'm trying to think, try, uh, of a country that would, that General Motors would partner with. Mm, logic. Um, you know what? I'm going to say Australia. 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 Take some chockers of that. Wow. Okay. Australia. Final answer. I I wrote it down. Mm Mm-hmm. We will wait and find out. Yes, indeed. Very cool. Uh, Yeah. I don't know about that, but it just came to me. Yeah, Uh we'll see. Uh, so what else is happening? Man, I got no GTO progress. Hmm. I've been working on daily driver nonsense. Um, yeah, you've been texting me pictures of, uh, yeah. Of daily driver car repair. Misery yeah. Fun projects. with cars. My new web series. <laughs> Look for <laughs> yeah, it. That was funny. You said the video was great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you, what was the last one? The timing belt on the Timing belt, yeah. On the Chevy Cruze? No, Chevy Sonic. Oh, the Sonic. That's right. Yeah. 1.8 liters of fury. Chevy Sonic. Yeah, there you go. 
Yeah, and I got a bunch more. I got to do plugs, and I got to replace an exhaust pipe. I got a leak. Um, How bad was that timing boy. belt? Not a lot of fun. Mm. Not a lot of fun. Yeah. The worst part, and it's it's funny, the worst part is taking all of the, the inner fender uh, liner and stuff out. Because you mm. got to take all that out in order to get to the crankshaft to pull the, cra- uh, the crank pulley off. Um, and getting the serpentine belt off was was not a lot of fun either. And you mm. got to jack the engine up because you got to take the mount off from the, from up top and keep it supported with it with a floor jack. And you got to move it around a little bit and it just if 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 I if I weren't so stinking cheap, I'd have someone do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, well, I think those are the worst where it's like you have to pitch the thing at an eight-degree angle, and you have to install right. two more elbows and a couple extra joints in your fingers to reach around something to get <laughs> exactly, the cover. Exactly. You know, I, I've definitely been there. And, of course, you know, you can always buy special tool J-28945, and right. it'll reach you yeah. for you. But that costs more yeah, than and I, pair. I, Yeah, and I, had, I did have to buy a special jig to keep the um, uh, two cam pulley sprockets from moving to lock those together. Yeah. And it was a cheap uh, Amazon buy, and the part didn't really fit all that well. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, but I got it done. Uh, there was I wanted to change the water pump while I was doing it, but I didn't. I couldn't get the stinking water pump pulley off. I didn't mm. have just the right Torx bit to get it in there and uh, and get it off. So I still have that to do as well. Well, you can't do them all at once. That's got to leave something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Leave yeah. something to look forward to. Yeah. How many miles are on that thing? Uh, one hundred and thirteen thousand. Hmm. Well, it sounds like you're ahead of the maintenance curve. I mean, yeah. Well, the timing belt's is supposed to go at one hundred thousand. In fact, on the one point eight liter, it throws up a little code uh, that says five two on the little driver information center when you hit 100,000 miles to remind you that you need to get your timing belt replaced. And it, it reminds you of that by saying 5-2. 5-2, that's the code. Hey. So when you do a little Google search, 5-2 code on Chevy Sonic 1.8 liter and says timing belt. be kind of neat if it said timing belt. Timing belt, <laughs> <Hey>, right? Because <laughs> all these people are driving around with a 5-2 and they don't know what the heck it is. Yeah, exactly, until the timing belt snaps and then they're... Is it interference? $5,000 of engine damage. Yeah, do they, does it bend all the valves? Is it an interference fit on that thing? It is an of interference course. engine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course it is. Why yeah. wouldn't it be? That, so that's exactly why it says 5-2. Yeah. Yeah. Because hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. you, you had a couple zeros on that, and that's what you got to pay to get it fixed when it snaps. Right. <laughs> yeah, they can't fit that on the display, though. So. No. Yeah. No. Right. So I uh, was doing a little wrenching myself recently, actually, in the, in the garage. Is that right? Yes. Which... Uh, do tell. Yeah, it's great. As, as if you, you didn't know that. <laughs> Theater of the mind, man. Theater right. of the mind. Exactly. Uh, last weekend, I had I found myself making a little time. I didn't really have time. I, I made a little time to uh, okay. address some of the issues that have been bothering me on our 62 Galaxy. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's all in, in preparation for hopefully the impending spring. And, and it's actually getting a little warmer around here. It was 70-something the other day, so that's nice. That um, is nice. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's this time of the year where it's you know hit or miss, on or off, rainy, miserable, and then beautiful the next day. And, and yeah. I don't want to miss an opportunity when a beautiful day just is sprung upon us uh-huh. you know, to go, man, oh, if yeah. only the car was together. 
Mm. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, uh, no, I didn't twist, mean that that way. Twist either. the knife a little more. No, no, no. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So, uh, made a little list of some things to get done, and uh, amazingly hit four of them in one day. I yeah, was, you got, you did get a lot done. Yeah, I did, and I'm, I'm not even sure how. <laughs> Just soldier on. Yeah, that's what you got to do sometimes. So, in, in specific. Yeah. Uh, this car is a convertible, and to give you an idea of how, how quickly I react, uh, about two years ago, uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of the fittings on a convertible top hydraulic line let go, oh. and uh, yeah, it was a nice feature. It, it pumped the bottom of the car full of, you know, transmission well, fluid, because fluid. Yeah, that's yeah. what's in the pump. So, you know, that, that's a form of rust prevention. So Exactly. So it that's did you there. a favor. Yeah, it did, yeah. it did. And out of appreciation, I just ignored it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Until last year, when my lovely wife and I were out on a little drive, and uh, and it really started to rain hard. You know, <clears throat> this oh, car, man. it's it's certainly not a show car, and, and it's all vinyl interior. So, you know, typically if it gets rained in, it, it's okay. You know, you just wipe right. it down. That actually kind of helps you clean it. You know, you just wipe it right mm-hmm. down. Sure. But this one day, it was really starting to rain hard. So we had to do the uh, the manual top, uh, uh, you oh, know, man. actuation and and power tops don't really like to be put up by hand. Manually, you know, yeah. the, the linkage gets fussy and and the top mechanism starts to flex. And if you bend something, it's over, you know, because and worse yet, a lot of these pieces are are cast, you know, like pot metal, and you can oh, you no. can break them, you know. Yeah. So we were doing this dance of running the, the top pump motor to try and get the last bit of hydraulic assist we could while pushing on it at the same time and everything, and it was raining out, and it was, it was really kind of miserable. So she had bought me a set of the uh, repair hoses and, and hydraulic lines for Christmas the year before, not this past one. And they've right. been conveniently in a, in a box on the shelf. Uh, where they're Just pro- waiting for the day. Yeah, they're, you know, they're protected that way. Yeah. So I finally said, you know what, let's get this done. So um, yanked the back seat out, and, uh, and of course, the reason why I got so much done that day is because that job it only took like an hour. You know, the, uh, the, it took longer to take the seat out and everything than it did to actually kind of switch the lines and get, then right? you know, resecure them, and then uh, uh, pour the fluid in. It, it took me a few minutes to find a nice hose to connect to a funnel, you know, so I could fill the thing without making a bigger mess. I see. And then the fill process is just running the top up and down a couple times and topping it off. And you can, okay. th- these, these lines are translucent, you know, transparent, so you can see through sure. them. Sure. Right. So you can see if there's air bubbles in it and whatnot, which is kind of nice. Yeah. So I finished that, and that led me to the convertible top switch itself. And mm-hmm. on this particular car, uh, in... Uh, I don't know, 2000 or 2001 or something like that, I had switched the dashboard out. So it's a 63 Mercury dashboard in a 62 Ford. Okay. And the reason why I did that is stylistically, the, the, to me it looked like those two were, were crossed on the assembly line, like, like Mercury parts and Ford parts got intermixed. The Ford okay. dash doesn't really look like the rest of the car, but a 63 Mercury dash has styling elements that are exactly like on this car. 
Okay. And specific, the the taillights on a 62 Galaxy are round, <clears throat> you know, circular. Right. And they've got a piece of trim inside and a reverse light in the middle. It's got a polished bezel. Well, the gauges on the 63 Mercury Dash are round, and they've got the same kind of elements. Oh, perfect. The so, so that's one. The biggest one, I think, is the Galaxy 500 XL, which is what this car is, has a zebra-stripe piece of trim between the taillights. It's polished, and it's got black vertical stripes going the whole way. It was okay. a, kind of a Ford thing. They did it for a few years. Um, sure. But the Mercury Dash, the entire Dash, has a zebra-stripe piece of chrome that has black inserts in it. Oh, man. I mean, it's like it's made for this car. It is made for this car. And and Ford Mercury, of course, are, are brothers, so the, the overall shape is the same, so you can switch them out, you know? Uh-huh. And, and conversely, the original Ford Dash didn't have any of that bright work trim with the stripes on it, and none of the gauges were round. They were all weird ovals uh-huh. and stuff. So, I mean, it, it really... Uh, it seemed like something was up. So I remember being in, in Arizona at the uh, Desert Valley Auto Parts yard, and they had a beautiful um, 63 Merc uh, Montclair that was a, um, it looked like it was a former government car. It was a black four-door, no options whatsoever. You know, it was like an FBI, uh-huh. you know, G-Man car. And it had... Um, in those days, you could buy a Mercury with what was, with, uh, I'm going to blow a trivia question here, but the Breezeway rear window. And Ooh. the Breezeway was the rear window that slid down the same way the side windows did. So you could, you could oh, roll yeah. down the rear window. And they were kind of goofy looking cars because the window needed a place to go. So it slid <clears> down behind the back seat, which meant the angle of the window was backwards from what most cars were. It actually sloped towards the front of the car at the base and it pointed away from the car at the roof line. Okay. So the profile of the car, the windshield and the rear glass had the same angle basically. And it was like a notch, you know, the big notchback looking thing. But that was only to accommodate that rear glass to slide down. I see. And there was a power window and it was, they were nice to drive and I got a ride when I was a kid in a a Mercury Breezeway car that, um, you know, the owner just rolled that window down just an inch or two and you got this wonderful you know, breeze, breeze through the car. Yeah, yeah, you didn't need the AC. And I had uh, planned on using, if I could, uh, I wanted to do that dash swap. And the breezeway has a hole in the dash just like it would if it was a convertible. So I can use Ooh. that location for the switch. Sure. Right? And, and right. I, I made the whole conversion and, and the whole dash went in pretty smoothly and it, it's, it's looked great. But the switch was bad and Ah. that's to find an original switch is like super hard. I mean, they're just, they're not out there anymore. Hmm. NOS Ford sixties convertible top switches on eBay are four and 500 bucks. God dang it. Come on, you guys for a switch, right? So for years I've been running, you know, these little saved searches on eBay. And I finally, I I had a different type of switch in the car just to operate the top. But of course it didn't fit in the hole and it was just a little momentary toggle switch. And it was conveniently zip tied to the bottom of the dash, you know, which sucked. So eventually one of my searches popped and I got uh, a used switch for um, 80 bucks or something. Okay. You know, it's still expensive, but it was only 80 bucks. Yeah, relatively speaking, it's cheap. Yeah. 
So that finally came in the mail. So after I finished my top hoses, I switched that out and got that all together with the correct bezel and all that stuff. So it looks like it never happened. So that's great. That's cool. And uh, I was moving the car around. I, I perceived this giant exhaust leak, and I thought, what the heck is that? And I found out the two spark plugs closest to the firewall were finger tight and about to blow out. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if that's just from sitting or whatnot. So got those all taken care of, and then as I was looking under the hood, I found that the oil pressure sender wire was torched. Uh, last year, I had a little, uh, I had a small fire in the car. Uh, I, I think I remember you talking about that. Power steering line let go. And, yeah, and exactly. Yeah, you're header. going to the shop. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and that's when it happened. Right, right, right. So that fire took down that oil pressure wire. Luckily, it wasn't a uh, line with oil in it. It was just a wire. Uh, right. <clears throat> so... All those things got fixed uh, this past weekend, so I'm, I'm steps closer to a you know, summertime cruising again. Very cool, man. That's great. Yeah, I wish um, I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to uh, join you in, that, in those type of endeavors with this <clears throat> uh, big golden goat behind me here. It'll happen. Uh, it, I know it'll happen. And, I mean, it's been down so long, I'm not even all that, you know, salty about it at this point. I just... I just want to have it done. Yeah, right. I just want to be able to enjoy it again, and it'll happen when it happens. So I've accepted that. Right. There's a blues they song, say. and the, the lyrics are, I've been down so long, being down don't bother me. Right, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't even hurt anymore right now, man. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. That's cool. You guys had... um. You guys had like an open house recently, right? A little spring dust off. We did, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was uh, that was a fun little event. So yeah, one of one of the pop up nice days that that has been happening um, down at our V8 Speed and Resto Shop. Um, an interesting thing occurred that kind of forced a little open house. First of all, our team is doing a tremendous job of keeping the shop clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been alluding to our shop expansion recently. And, right. and our new body shop center has created a lot of space. So the team now is far less cluttered, which is wonderful. They got room to work. Um, and everybody takes pride in their workspace, which is, which is great. So they're, they're picking up after themselves. And, and then Sarge, who's our, uh, one of our, um, Sarge is kind of a do-everything guy in the shop. And right. uh, his name is Jason Beebe. We call him Sarge. He's an Air Force vet. And uh, he has been sweeping a lot and just really trying to keep the place clean. And he said a great thing the other day. He said he, he really wants the building to look as nice as the cars. You know, That's awesome. It is awesome. I mean, I just I can't say enough about these guys. They're just a wonderful team. And we had talked about it before where if somebody is, you know, investing in a restoration and they come down and the, the shop's a mess, you know, they, you wonder, are they treating my car like this too? You know, and, and we're certainly not, you know, we, we care about the cars. We understand right. the value and the importance. So it only makes sense to have a nice facility around them. And now that we've got a little more space, it's easier to have a nice facility. So, right. so that's one of the elements is that we didn't have to do like a two week long shop cleanup to prepare for an open house type of event. It That's was nice. basically ready to go. And on, uh, on a Monday, I noticed uh, that we had two, in addition to all the cars that were there, we had two that were rarely in the same place at the same time, and that is the reloaded Camaro and then the, uh, the LT4 car. 
So oh man, that '69 Camaro. So both those were there. So it's like, well, these are great cars to show off. So on a, on a Monday, I, I put out there, hey, let's you know have a little dust off open house and invite people over, and they all showed up. And who who won the race between the reloaded Camaro and the LT4? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there, unfortunately, there was no racing at this point. Oh, come uh, on. We'll, we'll talk after the show. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I, I will tell you that the LT4 Camaro has four times the miles on it than the reloaded oh, car my. does. Wow. And the reloaded... Pete, you got to drive your car more, Pete. He, he does. That's, and he's uh. a guy who's very busy. He doesn't, just doesn't get the time. Right. So, um, so that car looks like it's day one. It's like we the, like we finished it yesterday. You know, it still looks awesome. Uh, right. So it was nice to show it off. So yeah, that was uh, that was cool. We had a lot of fun people come through and, and check the place out, and and uh, a lot of people shared pictures on on Facebook and whatnot, and uh, that was cool. That is cool. I'm I'm glad that you have a guy in Sarge that proactively tries to keep things straightened up and clean, and even. Even bef- you know before your shop expansion, even if your shop were still that clean, having all those cars there, you know when you when they get kind of bunched up together, can kind of create a, a bit of a cluttered look, mm-hmm. and it can kind of throw off people. It's like, look, what the heck? I mean, even though everything is great and you know what you're doing, you're a well-oiled machine, you know how to move the cars in and out. Yeah, it can it can just look a little cluttery, having a little more room, spreading it out, mm-hmm. keeping things clean, really makes a much nicer presentation. Yeah, well, thank you. I and 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 that was part of the, <clears throat> you know, I don't want to say, the, the, the main goal was obviously more workspace. And, and to me that it allows a little more harmony. And, and when you don't have to move one thing to get to something else, I mean, you're more efficient and we're, we're definitely seeing the results of all that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little spooky in the beginning because all of a sudden we had open space and mm-hmm. you know, it was like something was missing. But uh, but now you know the the, the people uh, are finding kind of their groove and um, Sarge yeah. and his brilliance and he's been really uh, uh, crucial in getting the the workflow of the building what it needs to be so the right stuff is in the right place so you're mm-hmm. not going out of your way to track something down. You know everything's. There, there's a harmony there and we're still kind of working through that because we've only been in the the expanded side for a couple of months um but it doesn't feel like a couple of months it feels like that's been there for a long time so that's a testament to those guys right Absolutely. right right that's yeah. awesome that's yeah. awesome yeah but along uh, the lines of that uh that open house shortly thereafter uh, a couple days after we got visited by um two classes from a local trade school tech school is that right yeah and that was cool it's called CCSI, and it's they, they do uh, engine building, they do machine work, they do uh, body shop stuff, but they also do other types of skills. Uh, you know, I think they've got an electric program and a plumbing program and construction and you know stuff like that. And oh, it's wow. uh, it's it's a high school level school, so you can mm-hmm. co-op out of you know your afternoon high school classes and, and go there. And uh, I think we had twenty five students come through. And, and these particular ones were part of the Skills USA competition, which I don't know if oh, you're nice. with that. But Skills USA is a, it's a national level competition where students compete, and if you're if they're good, they go to a regional, and then a, if they're really good, they get to go to the nationals. 
So the two disciplines that came through uh, were welding students, like fabrication guys, and uh, and mechanic side, uh, mechanical uh, engine mechanics, and you know brakes and all that jazz. Right. And uh, it was cool because they Rod and Kelly gave those tours, and they got to see you know all kinds of neat stuff. And we got a little window into the inside of you know kids of that age in our geographic area. Right. And, and the thing that we noticed is that they really like trucks. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. So between, I mean, you name it, you know, from S10s up to Silverados and, and you know, Ford Broncos and Cummins diesel. I mean, the, the, and we're in a pretty rural area down by the shop, too. And that's where right. a lot of these guys right. are. So And girls, sure. a lot of girls, too, which is good. Cool. That's great. Yeah. So very enthusiastic. And, uh, and again, the, the continuously clean shop helped with that, too. So Amen. Yeah. Amen. That's cool to see that. I, I too was in a vocational uh, course in high school for auto mechanics mm. uh, when I li- when I lived in Texas. Uh, a town called uh, Waxahachie, Texas, had Bless a uh, yes. Thank you. Um, they had a uh, program like that that I did my junior and senior year. And uh, your se- your senior year, you could um, kind of intern at a dealership. Oh, right on. And, uh, yeah, and I interned at uh, at a dealership called Carlisle Chevrolet mm-hmm. in um, in Lancaster, Texas, or the locals called it Lancaster. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a while, and that gave you a good insight of how the dealership process works and, you know, what it takes, what it's all about. And it was a great educational experience for me. And oh, I bet it was I, uh, excellent. Uh, oh, it was, it, was, it was top notch. And I'm glad to see programs like that are still happening and young kids are still, you know, heavily involved with with things like that. I bet they just love the hell out of the shop when they went through. Oh that. yeah, it was cool. You could you could tell. Um, and at the same time, it was kind of funny because they were, you know, they're also high school kids. So sometimes they're reluctant to ask a question, you know, because they right. don't want their friends to pick on them. You know, if it's a silly right. question or whatever. So Kelly and Rod tried real hard to kind of draw that stuff out of them, and they had instructors mm-hmm. instructors with them as well. You know, that that would ask questions and stuff. Um, but I think it was cool. And, and we do those whenever we are asked, you know, whenever there's an opportunity, we're more than happy to bring people through and and show them the stuff. Sometimes if it's a smaller group, um, I like to actually do demos where we, we can have them weld stuff together or we can, you know, train them a little something to do something that's, and the, and the great thing was, is the welding guys and girls, were already trained as TIG welders and MIG welders. Really? And, and they, they had some skills, you know, which was killer. So, you know, we're kind of maybe eyeballing the future, you know, in a few years when they, they get their education and they get their, mm-hmm. their you know, whatever their training is, um, maybe maybe there's somebody there that is a future team member. I don't know. Yeah, and yeah, you never know. That's the whole point of this is to, you know, get a career going. So sure, it's kind of fun to get a sneak preview of what's coming down the pipe. Yeah, and I bet every one of those kids is going to remember the visit to that shop and everything that went on there, and it's going to spark something in a lot of those kids to really want to probably go into that line of the of the of the industry, into the restoration industry, because it's. I mean, who 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 wouldn't want to be working on hot rods all day? Yeah, I know right. I would. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean that's that's the cool that's the cool of that industry. I mean, it I is. mean it's one thing to be a mechanic and. You know, you're doing water pump jobs and, you know, brake jobs and, and regular, you know, maintenance on everyday drivers. But it's a totally other thing to really build something out of nothing. I mean, case in point, I was just looking at the uh, 
at the flyer for the S71 Olds, mm. this thing was a pile when you started with it. It was. It was. And, then and it, to turn it into what, what this is, amazing. Nothing short of amazing. And I bet that really, really resonates with these kids. Yeah. And, you know, we have to make sure that they get the sense of what the beginning and the middle and the end are, you know, because when something's in process, it's kind of a snapshot. Sure. Um, but it's funny when you mentioned, you know, what kind of effect these visits have. We, uh, last year, we had a, a three different classes of grade school kids come through. And it was more no of a career day type thing. And I, I don't remember if we talked about this or not. But um, one of the neatest things was after each class came through, we ended up getting stacks of letters. Is that right? Yeah, and they were they were thank you letters, and they were other letters, and and uh, you know I know their their teacher you know it was probably an assignment to write something, but they did. Sure, and it was really. But cool. they did it. Yeah. yeah, and some of them were, you know, dear V eight. Uh, <laughs> I liked the uh, the silver Camaro. Done. You know that was it. Which is whatever. I, I wrote that one. And I wrote that letter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was my letter. <laughs> I recognize that handwriting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the shortness. Uh, yeah. And the spelling yeah. I also recognize. Yeah. I, sp- uh, I got the V backwards in V8. <laughs> <laughs> and the 8. <laughs> and the 8. <laughs> but what also was very cool was some of the letters were very in-depth, saying, hey, my dad has a car like that, and we work on it, and, you know, someday I want to work at your shop. We had many people that said that, that said after coming through, they wanted to work there, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's cool. You don't know... You know how you're connecting with anybody, and and um, especially the, you know the next generation. And I don't know if you're familiar with the RPM Foundation. The, I'm not. The RPM Foundation is a uh, foundation that is dedicated to perpetuating the restoration and performance world to future generations. And they're they're based on the in the Pacific Northwest, and they they get involved with different clubs and whatnot. And there's a gentleman named Herb Clark who came to visit. And Herb lived in Arizona. He's from the St. Louis area uh, originally, and he's a retired guy, and he's got grandkids and, and everything in the Midwest. So he's leaving Arizona and coming back to the Midwest, and he's starting a local chapter of, uh, it's called the, uh, the Arch Restoration Club. And what they were able to do in Arizona is unbelievable. So really, I don't know if you're familiar with the Sun City uh, retirement communities yeah, out there. Yeah, Sun City West. Yeah, he used to live right by it. There you go. Well, Herb yeah. lived at Sun City West, and he told no me kidding. I think there was 31,000 inhabitants of Sun City West. I mean, it's a, wow. it's a big deal. It and is a big deal. a lot of these retired people, you know, they're looking for stuff to do, so they actually started this restoration club out there and raised funds and built a beautiful facility. I mean, paint huh. booth, lifts, I mean, the whole thing. It's a great, great restoration shop. And all the work is done voluntarily, and somebody donates a car, and then these uh, uh, retired people team up with local kids and teach them how to restore cars. You've got to be kidding me, No, man. it's awesome. So right now they're finishing up a 58, I believe, Thunderbird, Squarebird, that yeah. uh, got taken off the frame, and they, you know, the whole thing, they're doing all the interior work and all body paint work, and, and it's a full, legit restoration, but done by local kids under the guidance of these guys. Yeah, it's wonderful. 
And then when the, the car's finished, they'll auction it off and use that money to help fund the next project. The and, and the RPM wow. Foundation helps with grants and stuff like that. So um, Herb Clark uh, came to our shop yesterday, as a matter of fact, and uh, Kelly and I are going to be involved with the Arch Restoration Club, the Archway One, locally. And he's trying to do the same thing here to uh, find a facility and, and get people mm-hmm. to help start donating. And, and one of the neat things that they did really doesn't have anything to do with working on the cars, but it was targeted towards much younger kids. And you know when you go to uh, your local hardware store and you're in the hardware aisle with the nuts and bolts and they have those gauges where you can thread a bolt in to see what size it is. Right. You know, yeah. and nuts and stuff. Well, they got a handful of those things and then they get some nuts and bolts and they put them on a table and then they'll go to a, a car show or some kind of event where there's, you know, young kids. In fact, in Arizona, they invited them all into their facility. But they, they show them, they have a little contest, you know, to get the right bolt in the right hole and the right size right. and fine thread and coarse thread and stuff. And he said the amazing thing is how engaged and how excited the kids get, but also their parents and grandparents. Because right? a lot of these people, you know, he's, Herb said that, that he skipped two generations because his son is, uh, was never really interested in the cars so much because Herb was always working and they didn't, you know, didn't spend a lot of time with him. And then his son's right. kids on their own also, you know, they grew up with minivans and, you know, things that aren't that exciting. So right. he's trying to re-engage all them to, to keep all this going. And he got his son involved and he's got a bunch of his grandkids involved and doing those little exercises started to kind of turn the light on that, you know, working with your hands and, and doing stuff is, uh, is fun, you know, and it, it could yeah. be a cool career. So it was neat. It could be a great career. Man, that's amazing. Herb Clark. Yeah. Must be in the name. Must Doing be. Doing great yeah. things. There's a lot of great Doing herbs great out there. Things. <laughs> Good Clarks out there. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. Right yeah. on. Oh, that is, that's really heartwarming. I, I, I never heard of the RPM Foundation before. That's, that's, yeah. that's just, that blows me away that, that they do that. That's unreal. Yep. Huh. It's, it's, a, it's a cool deal. And I'm glad that you and Kelly are getting involved with the local chapter. That's even better. It's going to be great. Yes. And um, Kelly called me earlier in uh, a little bit of a panic because tomorrow morning, as a matter of fact, she's giving a presentation at the local high school about uh, careers in the automotive world. So it's not really about our shop or anything like that. It's, you know, right. in general. And it was funny because her, her panic was that... Uh, they told her they're going to cap the presentation at 25 minutes, and she has to give it five times tomorrow. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. So she's like, that's a little bit more time out of the office than I was expecting. And uh, Oh, wow. And, but it's all good. There's so much to uh, – and what she's all about, uh, you know, in addition to running our shop, she's very involved with a group called Women – it's WAC. It's, it's – uh, women in automotive and collision, but, but it's also targeted towards kids of, of, you know, any gender, um, and not just females. And, you know, their mission is to point out to people that you can, you can work in the automotive career, uh, but you can be an accountant, you know, or you can be in marketing Mm. or you can be, you know, any number of professional disciplines, but just do it somewhere cool. You know, you can be an accountant <laughs> right. at, a, at a hot rod shop or a race shop or a car dealer instead of being, you know, a, a CPA that's doing people's taxes all day long. Mm-hmm. So it's a way to cross over, you know, traditional, you know, careers and, and 
get people to take a look in the automotive world. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that she'll have plenty to talk about in her presentations at the high school, raising the awareness that it's not just grease monkeys and turning wrenches. Right. I'm sure she'll raise a great bit of awareness. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure. Man, that's killer. Yeah, a lot going on. A lot going on. Uh, and you got to be sh- worried about this, too, because uh, your, your daughter's, what, a year away from, one of your daughters, a year away from getting her license or so. She started driver's ed yesterday. Oh, <laughs> well, I noticed, you know, all your hair fell out. Yeah, well, my <laughs> eyebrows are falling out. Yeah, your, your eyebrows. She's actually, I'm really excited about her because she wants to drive. I mean, she she was just like me. She was She's chomping at the bit to drive a car. That's great. And I kind of carry the tradition of uh, when I was a kid, my grandfather used to let me lean over and steer the car mm. when we were driving somewhere, and I let her do that now too. So if we have, to, if I have to take her somewhere to some kind of practice, she's like, "I want to steer." I'm like, "All right, let's do it." Mm. And so she's she'll steer the whole way, and she does the turn signals, and and she's she's she does really well at staying in her lane. She makes the turns nicely. I mean, she's really developing a decent skill set for driving. So I'm not I'm not that worried about her. Well, Believe it or not. You know, what I find is people aren't, you know, they might not be super worried about her, but it's, of course, everybody else. Right. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we try to instill that into her, and I'm sure her driving instructor will instill that into her, how to take a defensive posture when driving and and, and be as safe as possible in, in all the all the rules of the road. Um, but no as far text, as her no texting. being... No texting. Yeah, but as far as her being a basket case behind the wheel... I, I don't see it happening. I mean, I think she's going to do really, really well. Yeah, so the good thing is um, there are a lot of kids today that are not getting their license. They're, they're, right. They're until later. You know, they uh-huh. don't feel the need because they can communicate with a text and they don't need to get away from home. So we all thought, you know, the, autom- the automobile was the key to freedom. Yeah. So maybe your daughter just needs to get away from you and get out on the road. Maybe, yeah, yeah. and that's fine because there are times when... I want her to get the hell away from me. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's good, though, you know. Because yeah. she, is, she is a 15-year-old uh, girl, and she gets crazy and, and you know, a little high-strung, like her old man. Yeah, but, which, um, you know, the, the, everybody's got their thing, but I, I was the same way. I wanted to get out of the house and, and oh, driving. You know, I wanted to drive since, you know, the day I was born, basically. Oh, so yeah. Oh, yeah. good to hear. Yeah, but to your point about people waiting longer, my nephew, I think he was 19 or 20 mm. before he got his driver's license. Yeah. Because, I mean, he he, he was, uh, maybe he was 18. Um, but he had no, he's like, why do I need it? I mean, I'll walk if I need, if I walk, if I need to go somewhere right. or a buddy will pick me up, it's fine. And he just never had that burning itch. To get his license and, and be able to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And I never understood that. Well, I I'm going to make a guess here and say that he was not exposed to... Nobody gave him a ride in a fast car when he was six years old. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah, no. I don't think so. No. So he, he doesn't so. get the entertaining side of cars. Mm-hmm. You know, he gets that they're expensive, their transportation, it's a hassle. Why do I need to do this? And right. his, his parents or mom or dad or whoever probably mm-hmm. were the same way, you know. 
but those of us, and we had talked before, you know, my earliest speed rides were in police cars, you know, and, and that, mm-hmm. that stuck, and that's what it takes. Oh, yeah, it sticks. Speaking of sticking, um, this will stick with me for a while. I got a text from, um, from Trevor <laughs> uh, yesterday of them driving the Metro, yes. him and Tyler, yeah. on the road. Yeah, how well, shout cool. out to Trevor and Tyler. How cool is that? So the 1961 <laughs> International Metro van that uh, uh, we're building for our friends who own uh, Bartoli's Pizza in Chicago, and I want you to remember that. Um, this was a project that came to us, and and we put this. Trevor and and the guys put uh, the cha- got rid of the chassis and put a 2002 Tahoe chassis underneath this thing. Right. And it's uh, it's been a big project. Um, Got to hand it to them. It was a lot of work. There are people out in the world who are doing these types of conversions um, to a far lesser level. Mm-hmm. And when I say level, I mean like safety level. Mm. Um, because, you know, a lot of times people say, well, hey, I got the body to sit on the chassis. It's done, you know. And, and right. in, in this case... So the, the vehicle um, belongs to a guy that, that I actually have known since junior high, uh, a right. friend of mine who, who owns Bartoli's Pizza, which is uh, near Wrigley Field in Chicago. Great, great pizza place. Totally worth going to. And he had the idea to come up with kind of a cool vehicle to do their catering deliveries. And it needed to be a truck because they might do, you know, an office building full of pizza. And right. you need to carry a bunch, but he didn't want it to be, you know, your regular sprinter van or something like that. Right. So um, we started talking and he, he, he had seen some of these conversions online on YouTube or whatnot of guys that are, you know, somewhere in their backyard putting these things together. And he thought, well, that can't mm-hmm. be that big of a deal. So <laughs> in all honesty, the, the project grew a little bit beyond what all of us expected, um, but in, uh-huh. a, in a good way. Um, so, for example, rather than you know, just kind of bolting the body to the new frame with, you know, bolts and big rubber bushings to get it to touch. Mm-hmm. Trevor actually built a structure, a steel structure with with uh, box iron that um, is kind of a, I don't want to call it a subframe, but I'll call it kind of a mid-frame. And okay. It, it bridges the gap between the shape of the Metro van and the, uh, the Tahoe chassis in a, in okay. a manner that is overbuilt, you know, so that All right. this sucker is bolted to that frame. Good. And, and multiple, you know, m- more body mount locations than it had originally, uh, at least okay. in, in stature. And then he did all the engineering to get the uh, the brakes to work properly and, and the steering and, and not just work. The, this stuff has to work for a long time and it has to work reliably because this is going to be a working Correct. vehicle. Right. And, you know, we see it all the time where just because something works doesn't mean it's going to keep working, uh-huh. you know. So this was, it was overbuilt is kind of a, a weird term, but I, I will say it was built with the required uh, robust construction right. needed to be a real vehicle, you know. Right, built with longevity in mind. Totally. And, yeah. uh, and so some of the, you know, a few items took, uh, you know, a little bit longer than we anticipated, but again, it's all in the right direction and it's, uh, uh-huh. it's, it's rock solid. So it is uh, very, very near completion. And they drove it for the first time, I don't know, about a week and a half ago and, and immediately brought it back in to change some things and fix some stuff and, you know, mm-hmm. dial things in. But, um, they took it to lunch, I guess yesterday. That's when they sent you the text. 
that right? <laughs> little video. That's awesome. So <laughs> it's it's cool. It, it it gets you want you want something that people are going to ask questions about. You know, Trevor said he we were mentioning that silver '69 Camaro with the LT4. Uh, this Metro van has gotten more attention than that Camaro did. Is that right? At the gas station and, you know, where they went for lunch. And people are coming out of their cars and running over and taking pictures of it and everything. Uh So as a marketing tool for Bartoli's Pizza, it's a a wonderful idea because our last step is uh, we're in the process of designing some graphics for it. And the owner uh, got kind of lucky because this thing came in 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 light blue and white and mm-hmm. the Bartoli's Pizzeria colors are red um, and black and silver, kind of. But okay. it's in Chicago, and the Chicago flag is light blue and white. Is light blue and white. So Yes, sir. It, it's essentially two-thirds of a giant Chicago flag. So I designed some graphics that have the, the B for Bartoli logo, and then the, the stars from the Chicago flag and the white right. part, and then some words in the blue, and your mind's like, boom, you know, I get it right away. And uh, if you go to the Bartoli's restaurant, there are, there's a mural inside done by another guy that I went to high school with, uh, Gino Savarino, that is, he normally does kind of uh, impressionistic modern art, but he did this mm-hmm. series of, of murals that, call up classic Chicago icons. So there's a Blues Brothers thing and, you know, all this oh, stuff, cool. sports teams. And, of course, the, the Chicago flag is in that, too. So we think it's all going to tie together really, really nicely. And it's going to be uh, an awesome rolling billboard for him. And the timing Sweet. couldn't be better because uh, the guys on, uh, I don't know if it was Phantom Works Garage, they just did one, a Metro Really? And they did it the hard way. They took the original chassis and modified the whole thing. And I, the last I heard, it had over 5,000 hours in the build. Holy cow. And it wasn't done. Uh, we we oh. got that one smoked. You move the decimal over, you know, three places to where we're at on this one. Um, because it was smart to get that chassis and swap it over. Sure. Uh, the American Pickers guys... Apparently, the storyline, anyway, is that they located the old Aerosmith tour van, which was one of these things. And, and <laughs> you got to be kidding me. That's what the story is. I just saw this today. And uh, that thing is going to be uh, restored in Vegas somewhere. I don't know if it's going to be by Count's Customs or whoever. But uh, mm-hmm. so, so these Metro vans are getting popular. Snap-on Tools did one this past year that was basically a red and white version of what we did. But it's on its original chassis. So... Um, you know, real retro-looking thing. So they're getting out there. So for him to have one done to this level at this time is also mm-hmm. kind of serendipitous, but very cool. So I'm uh, I'm excited. And and again, you know, he's a friend of mine and, and and you know a customer. But I think it's important to show a little appreciation if you think it's cool to guys like him and Bartoli's Pizza who are doing this, you know, he could have very easily went down the street and bought a transit van or some modern thing and had a graphic shop wrap it and be done with it. Right. But something with no soul to it. Totally. Uh, But he's found a way to scratch his, his hot rotting itch and do something cool. And yes, it absolutely helped us out, you know, as a a neat project, but it's going to have so much more of a cool factor than any of his, you know, the, the other local delivery trucks in the area. Um, that, you know, that, that's where, if you're a car guy, it's worth a visit 
never mind the fact that the food's killer. So if you're in the Chicago area, go to, go to Bartoli's and check it out. And hopefully, definitely the end of the spring, um, you, you should see that Metro running around Chicago. So, Right on, man. Yeah, it's cool. I'm going to go just just for that. Hey, awesome. <laughs> right on. Right on. You've you've convinced me. Well, those are the people you want to support. The ones that take care of you, you know, we all got to work together, you know. Right. For sure. For sure. Um Did you know that um totally off subject. Trivia oh, question. you know what? You actually you had um I wanted to talk about you had the guys from uh Kingdom Metalworks come in. Yes. Into your shop. Yes. And uh, uh, do some metal uh, work seminar for you. Kevin from, from Kingdom Metalworks. So that was an interesting experience. Uh, he, here's a guy who was born in England and had a career rebodying aluminum Shelby Cobras in England. Get out of here, really? Yeah, for real. Using the original bucks and, and you know, <laughs> fixing these things after race crashes and stuff like that. So th- this, this guy knows how to put... Aluminium, as he said, together. Aluminium, yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. And he came to the United States a long time ago, and he was living in Southern California, and he was working with a bunch of race shops and different people putting Porsches back together and Ferraris Uh and high-dollar cars, Jaguar XKEs and all that jazz. And uh, eventually, a couple years ago, his family situation uh, landed him in... um, He's in Kentucky. Okay. On a farm. And he started a little business because there's not a whole lot of race crash Porsches and Ferraris in his neighborhood. So he said, you know, I've been doing this for 40 years. Maybe I can uh, uh, give a little bit back and uh, uh, do some training. So he has a little shop where people can go to him and learn metal working skills, or he'll come to your shop and work with your team. And we chose to do that. Um, our guys, Jay and Brett, uh, are both very, very skilled, but you can never learn enough. And Amen. the the yeah. the things that that Kevin brought to the table were uh, old, time honored skills of forming metal into curved shapes. And when you cannot find a replacement panel on something, and you absolutely have to make it, here are some ways to do it. And we already have the uh, uh, Pullmax power hammer. We've got a planishing hammer. We've got an English wheel. We've got a lot of cool Mittler Brothers tools and. Mm shrinkers and stretchers and whatnot but he showed ways to use these things that um you know were definitely beyond what we do on our daily but will Mm -hmm. now allow our guys to do so much more and and i think the best part about it was his training was all done on existing projects in our shop oh really so it wasn't oh "Oh, here's a piece of test steel and let's bend Uh it up and then when it's done you hang it on the wall this was Uh that that fender needs to be repaired so we're going to fix it and you're going to do the work, and I'm going to show you how. Oh, that's killer. It was. That's the, that's the best learning. It was. So um, our guys were super fired up, and, and he started at the very beginning with some welding techniques, TIG welding techniques, um, different ways to think about welding and, and uh, fusing metal together, and then planishing your weld rather than grinding it smooth. You can, you can hammer it into place and, and uh, okay. reduce your finish time and... And, uh, oh just, really? Yeah, wonderful huh. stuff. And then and then beyond that, it got into let's make some parts and and you know one of the questions I always had is when you're doing a three dimensional panel, you know, a fender on a '38 Chevy, for example, is one that was worked on. This is a car that has curves in every direction. So how do you yeah. how do you get it right? You know, 
And if you're stretching it over a wooden buck or a wooden frame, it's a little bit mm. easier because the dimension's already known. But right. if this is something that you're making out of free air, you know, how do you, how do, you do it? So he was, uh, we have some gauges called uh, sweeps and, and he, he showed us some radius gauges that allow you to look at the good fender or even the bad fender, but in a critical way and, and mark a panel up with a numbering system saying that this curve right here corresponds to this gauge and this one corresponds to this ah. gauge. And pretty soon you have a quantifiable, measurable map of a three-dimensional panel. And then, uh, uh, you know, he showed them how to use, uh, you know, paper and then eventually steel and stretch it and shrink it and pound it into a rough shape and then finalize mm. that into a smooth shape and then weld them together. And, you know, it was neat. Man. I tell you what, metal work and all that—that's a, like a black voodoo magic to me. It's amazing how how you have to have such an eye for that. I mean, I can I can bolt things together just as good as anybody, but to create something out of a flat piece of uh, steel or or aluminum that looks attractive—wow! Hats yeah. off to those guys to that whole that whole industry. It's amazing. It is, and do. where the experience comes in. I think is not just the basic skills of welding and forming, but looking at the entire panel and visualizing how many pieces this is going to have to be and how to make those individual pieces and how do you put them together without getting backed into a corner where all of a sudden you need to put a, a fold in something or a character line and now the piece doesn't fit in the machine to do that, you know, or you can't get a hammer and dolly behind it. So you really have to strategize what part do I make first, given the capabilities of my machines, uh -huh. so that I can complete that, and then I can put them together and the whole thing go together. So, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's thinking with a different part of your brain, for sure. Oh, totally. Yeah. I don't have that part of the brain. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever did, man. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's funny because uh, I do, but that, that part is, uh, is frustrated very easily. <laughs> is that right? Oh, boy. I mean, I would love to go through something like that and just try to pick up some skill and mm -hmm. learn something about that just to try to do it and see uh, – how good my chops could be as something like yeah, that. But, yeah. but just looking at how people do that, I'm like, mm, I just don't see me ever being, I'll never be that good. I, and I, and yeah. I know that and, and I'm cool with that. Right. But it, it would be neat just to have some type of skill set in, yeah. in metal work and metal forming and shaping. Well, That'd I mean, you know cool. how to weld. I do know how to weld, babe. Let me tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just missed my one year anniversary. I think it was March twenty second. Oh my goodness! Uh, twenty eighteen, when Paul and I were down there, we learned to weld. Yeah, right. Yeah, on. gosh, I meant to mention that last last show too. Shoot. Well, you know what's funny is, uh, um, with regards to TIG welding, anyway, uh, Kevin had showed us a, a kind of a technique that was contrary to what we normally do. And when you and Paul were there, I was telling you when you MIG weld, you know, you. you Put some heat in that weld but then move the torch around so that you don't warp mm -hmm. your panel right. and he professes actually to go in in a in a sequential line put some tacks in but start at you know one part of the panel and and weld it all the way around 
And the reason really? for that, yeah, TIG welding allows you to control the heat better. And he certainly was mm-hmm. saying to do it slowly and not, you know, just do a complete burn, you know, because that, that ain't right. going to work. But what he pointed out is that every time you, you fuse the two pieces of steel together, you're heating them up and they, they shrink and stretch on their own. So if you zap all the way around, you're potentially putting a different twist into each one of those little joints. And you could be doing all kinds of warpage. Whereas if you start in one place and push the heat linearly, the previous Mm. joint is, you know, working in your favor to kind of keep that warp manageable and less erratic, I guess, is the best way to do it. Less, less erratic. So, um, again, stuff you, you learn by knowing, you know, by, by doing for years and years and years. And, right. uh, and this guy's been doing it for over 40, so he knows what he's doing. So wow. it was cool. Yeah, I guess, I guess he knows what he's doing. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Well done, Kevin at Kingdom Metalworks. Yeah, KingdomMetalworks.com. You can check him out. Very cool, man. Yeah. You've been, you've been busy. Yes, we have. Fortunately, um, seems like we always are, which is great. Yeah, I mean, not just juggling 19 cars at the same time in the shop, but with all the extracurriculars as well, the open houses, the kids coming in, the, the you know the tour groups, the uh, the metal sh- uh, metal working seminar from Kingdom. It's uh, yeah, you really got a lot going on. Yeah, and you know, I think you really have to, you know, and yeah. and Kevin pointed out he he thanked Kelly. Kelly actually coordinated the training and everything, and. Um, he said some really nice stuff. He said that, you know, as a third-party observer, he spent a week in our shop, and, and he said he, he noticed that the, the, the team gets along very well, and they respect each mm-hmm. other, and they enjoy working there, and they appreciate being there. And uh, uh, he, he had pointed out that um, it was nice that Kelly recognized the value and made the investment in the crew, you know, mm. and, and that's, yep. that's the way you got to look at it. You know, the more, the, the, the better the team does, the better everybody's going to be. So uh, yeah, I, I looked at it as more like you were like, Oh, kick ass. We got to put cool stuff together and make something neat, yeah. you know? Uh-huh. And, and she was looking at it long term, like, no, the, the, uh-huh. the better these guys are, the better everything's going to be, you know, yeah, forever. So, Oh yeah. It was uh, it was a neat experience, and and he was a very nice guy too, which was great. You know, he, he yeah. was the kind of person who um, you don't mind spending a week with, you know, which helps. Sure, yeah. Well, I mean, the, that culture is you know it starts with you guys. You, you treat your guys like they're number one. They're going to treat your customers like they're number one. So it just it rolls on down. Yeah, and they really do. Absolutely. <clears throat> mm-hmm. We're all very fortunate to be as busy as we are, and and that's how it goes in different directions, you know. And um, like I said, we're just. <clears throat> I'm very appreciative, and we're very fortunate. Right on. Right on. And with that, let's talk about some trivia. Yeah, let's have a beatdown. <laughs> <laughs> now that you're, we're feeling all warm and fuzzy, yeah. let's get real. Pull the rug out. Yeah. All right. So, Kevin, I asked you. I talk, We talked about the automotive uh, automobile patent by George Selden, and uh, who is credited with uh, breaking that patent uh, from George Selden thus really opening up the whole automotive industry. Um, and you said, after, after much deliberation with yourself, mm-hmm. uh, you said Henry Ford. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kevin, unfortunately for me, 
You are absolutely right. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not yes. kidding you. And I'm not I even gave you one. I even gave you a heck of a hint. I said the answer is closer than you think. Yeah, because there's one right and behind me. Right behind you. Henry Ford did it in uh, 1911. Wow. Yeah. Well, like I said, I get lucky. <laughs> yeah, you got it. That was a good... When you said Henry Ford, I'm like, oh, dang it. I would rather be lucky than good. So uh, that that is a, pers- a, a very great example of my luck, my friends. Yeah. Well, Nicely done. Thanks. Nicely done. Um, and now another great example of my luck. Yes. Let's go on to your question. Well, my question to you... Uh, was what is the farthest Pontiac plant, or or what? I guess what is what was the farthest Pontiac what plant? Because Pontiac yeah. is no longer uh, right. from Detroit, Michigan. And your guess uh-huh. was um, Australia. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I'm yes, I'm and... gonna give you this one. What? Yes, but I'm gonna let you decide if you are going to accept it. Oh, oh God! <laughs> so here's was it Tasmania? Up. No, no, no. It's not a geographical location thing. Okay. There was, in fact, a Pontiac plant in Elizabeth, South Australia. So that's a win. However, it was uh-huh. a Holden plant, and it did produce the Pontiac G8. But is that a Pontiac? Uh, is the question I will throw to you. I guess it is, but it was a. Does whole... it have a Pontiac badge on it? So therefore, Did it, it is. Say Pontiac G8. Yeah. Then it is. So th- I know that uh, some of the modern cars, there was you know, well, it's a Chevy engine or you know whatever. Right. Because I know how you Pontiac fans right. are. You know, you're very loyal. well. That like the GTO was a Holden uh, Correct. Monaro. Correct. Right. So. Right. And from that plant, so that was ten thousand one hundred twenty-seven miles away. Uh. So if, by chance, you said, well, that's not traditionally Pontiac enough for me, uh, the other answer was um, in Osaka, Japan. Oh, man. And Osaka was pretty cool because that plant opened in 1927, uh, and they built what they called knockdown cars. And a knockdown manufacturing plant gets everything brought in ready to assemble, and then they just built them and distribute them that way. And uh, that was 6,555 miles away. So it's a little bit more hardcore Pontiac because it was all Pontiac. I don't think it was anything else at that point. Um, But an unfortunate thing happened in 1941. Uh, (laughs) But you know what happened there? The Japanese government seized the plant. Did they? They nationalized it, huh? And that was it. Yep. Dunzo for that one. So you won. Congratulations. uh, Thank you. Holy cow. That's, I got. I got to take a moment. I got to take a moment. I don't, I don't get this very often. Yeah, and I, I will say that there might have been a little bit of a theme hint with the uh, the chockers adjective. Well, I got to tell you that <laughs> came into mind. That did come to mind. See, it wasn't a trick question. Uh, I'm like, what if he's what if he's tying that into the to the shout out to Australia? We're gonna go for it. But you also you went to you went to Canada, and we did uh, talk about that too. So right. Right, I was I was gonna say like Russia or something, but I'm like there's just, there's just no way. Yeah, I don't but, think there uh, was uh, you know Pontiacskis made over there. No, yeah. oh. no, huh. well, <laughs> maybe not a trick question, but a pretty trick answer. So great job. Yeah, thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Good times. All right, well this was good times. Uh, again, uh, deviated a little bit from our script. <laughs> 
I don't know. I mean, we talked about everything we wanted to talk about, I think. Uh, well, I think all the tours and stuff were uh, kind of, you know, not, not quite expected, but it was great. I'm glad we did get to talk about that stuff. Yeah, uh, because for sure. Because it was interesting. Yeah, right on. All right. Well, I also noticed that we are um, kind of bouncing in. We're still in the top 20 on iTunes yep. for those who... Uh, are riding that train with us, uh, you know. <laughs> woo woo! That's right. And like I said uh, before, you're you're more than welcome to listen to the show anywhere you want on Spotify or Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, the Facebook page, our own v8radio.com website, mm-hmm. or iTunes. And the only reason why we've been kind of kind of talking about iTunes so much is because they rank the shows and out of mm. 350 or something that are ranked, we're in the top 20 kids. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. And it's I like all, to be in the top 10. Well, yeah, definitely. But it's all thanks to our listeners, some in Australia, some in Canada, some in other parts yeah. of the world who, uh, who tune in using the iTunes uh, or Apple podcast app. And mm-hmm. uh, the fun thing is, you know, this past week, we, we were 17, then we were 18, then we went to 169 for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then sprang right back to uh, 19, and I think that's where we are right now, 18 or 19. Yes. But, so if you want, if, if you want to play the uh, Move the Needle game for V8 Radio, listen to it on iTunes. But you're free to do it anywhere you want. Mm-hmm. But listen to iTunes again. <laughs> right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. All right, my friend. Well, uh, again, great episode. Thank you so much for spending the time. And um, absolutely, this was uh, this was fun. Uh, I'm Kevin Osi from Mike Clark and V8 Radio. Keep the shiny side up, and we will see you next time. Yeah.